Well, we're in our second lesson of the Mountain Move series, and we're talking about active faith. And, and last week, as we opened it up, I kind of gave the, the foundational message for the rest of the series. And so if you weren't able to join us last week, then I encourage you to go on uh, YouTube, go on our Facebook page, go on uh, any number of podcast outlets, and you can listen to or watch the service, watch, listen to and watch the sermon. Uh, it kind of sets up the whole, uh, the whole series. It's kind of the inspirational side of what will now be a few instructional kind of lessons teaching us how to face the mountains that we come up against. Uh, you'll notice online and on your service guides, in your service guides today, there's an opportunity to take some notes. And if you're an avid note taker, you may notice that there aren't any blanks to fill out this week. And, and that is simply because um, it took me until yesterday to really finalize this, ser this, this sermon because it's, it's, not, it, it's more important to get it right than to get it fast. Yeah. Amen. And so we got, I believe we got it right, but that also means it's worth taking some notes. And so I encourage you to get out your note, uh, the note opportunity there and take some notes on your phone, on your iPad. I'm just going to assume you're not playing Angry Birds. <laughs> the other day, somebody told me, you know, Pastor Micah, no one plays Angry Birds anymore. I'm out of the game loop. Sorry. So we're talking about mountains that we face, and, and the Bible speaks of mountains over 500 times. And in a book where people debate the importance of words that are said multiple times, sometimes even just twice within a short period of time, uh, saying that, hey, we really need to pay attention to this because the scripture is mentioning it twice, uh, mountains being talked about over 500 times indicates their level of importance. Mountains mean something. In fact, they're, they're locational, which we see in Mount Sinai and Mount Horeb and, and, and all the Mount Moriah, different mountains where certain things occurred. They were locations. But mountains also are symbolic, symbolic of things like getting closer to God, symbolic of times of testing, uh, symbolic of times uh, of difficulties. And in fact, this last one, the difficulties, is the one that we're focused on in this series. Because the title of the series is Mountain Move. And if you have a mountain of blessing in front of you, you probably don't want it to move. That's called Mountain Stay. <laughs> a different series. So we're dealing with mountains that we want to move out of our lives because they are obstacles to us achieving what we believe God has for us to achieve in life, in marriage, in business, in, in ministry, in our relationship with Christ, in our friendships, and, and so on and so forth. So today, uh, we'll, we'll say that mountains are something beyond your ability to change or manipulate. And why we say or manipulate is because sometimes we can't outright change a thing, but we can manipulate the details in such a way as to where it more, it better aligns with what we desire. Uh, last week I asked how many people have been manipulated, and almost every hand went up. I, I then asked how many people, uh, how many of us have manipulated others, and shockingly fewer hands were raised. Almost none. We have a very non-manipulative group of people at Five Lakes Church. It's amazing. It's also a lie. But we're going we're to pray about that. 
The, uh, we, we, we like to do that. We'll take a thing and we'll say, well, it's not really that. It's really this. So we might not be able to change it, but we try to manipulate it. And today we're dealing with the mountain of provision. Provision. It's a mountain that many of us face. Sometimes we face the mountain multiple times throughout life. What do we mean when we say provision? We mean that the necessary things to move life and your mission in life forward. Sometimes we're talking about provision for life. Just, I need food, I need shelter, I need warmth or clothing. That's just for life. But sometimes we, well, most of us, actually get past the point where we need, we're in need of those things, and we get to the place where we're trying to push a mission in life forward. Maybe it's a mission to have a great family. Maybe it's the mission to get married. Maybe it's the mission to have great friendships. And, and maybe it's the mission to buy a home or to start a company or th whatever the mission may be. You're saying, this is the thing I feel would give life some level of meaning outside of simply surviving. That's the mission of life. Life and mission are both incredibly important, and the, the mountain of provision threatens both of these by saying, you will not have enough to push that forward. You will not have enough to complete the job. Now, I've been in places where I did not have enough, where I brought everything I had to the table, and it wasn't enough. I've been in uh, times in our lives where I've worked two jobs, leave one, go to the other, and it still wasn't enough to pay the bills. I I've been in moments where I brought everything I had to the marriage, and it still wasn't enough for there to be peace and wholeness in the relationship. Times where I've brought everything I knew how to bring to my kids and their life, and it still wasn't enough for them. It, it, didn't, it did not accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished in their lives. In my relationship with Christ, there's been times where I've brought stuff to the table and I realized I just wasn't hitting the mark. All of us face this mountain of provision in, in life, and it's a frustrating mountain. It's super frustrating. That means really bad, okay? So it's super frustrating because we can wear ourselves out throwing ourselves at this mountain over and over and getting the same result. Many of us end up settling for less. We just say, well, I, I, I'm just never going to get over that. I, that's never, I'm never going to defeat that mountain. Uh, so I'm just going to have to live on this side of the mountain and just act like I never wanted to go to the other side in the first place. That was my plan all along. But it's not true. Sometimes we settle for less than what God desires for us and what God has designed us for because we can't see a way over the mountain or around the mountain and we can't burrow under the mountain. The mountain is just an obstacle we cannot get around or get through. So the challenge today is don't let the mountain defeat you. Don't let it defeat you. But you say, well, how do I face this mountain? How do I deal with it? Well, here's what Jesus said. He gave us some hope regarding mountains. In Mark chapter 11, we read it last week. He said, I tell you the truth. You can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea. So this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, 
I tell you the truth. So Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So the truth is telling us the truth. That's like double true. That's like super duper true right there. And he says, I'm going to tell you that you can say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it will happen. That means it goes to a place where it cannot hinder your progress any longer. It's not nudging the mountain aside. It's getting rid of it entirely. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. So this is what Jesus said. Our text from James last week tells us our role in this process. He said, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. You got to do what the word says to do. That's why this is more of an instructional conversation today. And that's the question. Will you do what God's word says to do? Will you do it? Now, there are some misconceptions about provision that I want to hit really quick so that we can kind of get rid of them, get rid of the excuses, get rid of the issues that we might face, the misconceptions that we may have, and move on into a more productive and proactive conversation. The misconception number one is that lacking provision always refers to financial issues. That is so typical in our world where somebody says, I have lack in my life, and we think they're looking for money. The truth is there are many people that are financially strong that still lack in areas of life. They lack in areas of relationship. They lack in wisdom. They lack in understanding. They lack in clarity about what they're supposed to do next or how they're supposed to do it. People are just people. So every issue that a people can have, people have. And it doesn't matter the financial success that somebody has had in life. They still struggle with things like health, things like family, things like business, things like self-esteem. I've had people tell me, well, if I had more money, I would feel better about myself. No, you won't. What's going on internally has to change internally. An external thing will not fix an internal problem. That's a good place to say amen. Some people are are struggling to gain external things to try to fix an internal problem and it won't work. You'll get there and you'll still be just as lost as you were before you got that external thing. Provision is needed in every area of life. Secondly, a lack of provision is something that can be eradicated. That is a very common misconception. The Bible says that the poor are with you always. In fact, Jesus said, you will always have the poor among you. So that means that even if everybody on the planet had the same exact amount of money, we would still have poverty-stricken people. Because again, poverty, lacking something, is not just about a money issue. The poor are always with us. Poor who, have, who are poor in spirit, poor in heart, poor who, people who are poor in relationship and poor in wisdom or knowledge. But people say all the time, I, I've, I've heard it my whole life, we have a war on poverty. And there's just as many poor people today as there's ever been. You will not, we will not educate poverty away We will not politic poverty away. We will not give poverty away. We will not charity 
poverty away. The poor will always be there. In fact, that's what Jesus was talking about. He said, hey, you, right now you want to pay attention to the poor, and that's positive. You should pay attention to the poor. You need to be generous with the poor. But I'm not going to be here the whole time. They will remain with you when I'm gone. So pay attention to what I'm teaching you right now. Lack of provision is something that can be eradicated. You can't do it. I can't do it. Third, lack of provision means lack of character or lack of effort. Have you ever noticed how when somebody is viewing someone with lack, they'll say things like, well, if they just tried harder. Well, if they just got a job. There's all kinds of things that we say about other people. But when the lack is in our own life, we get a little less judgy. I've been in situations, I just told you, where I was working two jobs, and it, it wasn't a lack of character. I was doing a good job with the jobs. It wasn't a lack of effort. I had two of them. That's a lot of hours a week to work. And I still wasn't able to bring in enough money to pay for what we needed to pay for. It wasn't a lack of character. It wasn't a lack of effort. In fact, I, I think about our, our young people, our college students, our people just getting into their careers, people just getting married or just about to get married. We've got a few of them in the room right now. And, and, and it's very easy to leave our parents' house and think that we're going to live on our parents' level. It took them 40 years to get there. It might take you a minute as well. So take the pressure off. Adjust a little bit. And realize that if you're struggling to get things going and get that momentum going, it's not a lack of character. It's not a lack of effort. It may not be that you're doing anything wrong at all. You just need a little time to go by so you can gain some things and start stacking stuff up. And, and now things begin to work in your favor. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Praise God. Lastly, if you lack provision, you should be ashamed. And I think this is a big one in our world today. Look on, if you look on social media, nobody is ever showing you the reality of their life. In fact, I, I read a, an article uh, about a guy who uh, had this massive social media following and, and he was talking about his business and his Lamborghinis and his big mansion and, and his home over here and his home over there. And he was pro uh, projecting this amazing wealth. And, and in fact, he did have quite a bit of money. But what was discovered is that he was renting the opportunity in all of those places to take all those pictures. None of it was his. So people were taking his advice on a fake life. They were saying, tell me how to make money. Tell me how to do business. Tell me how to live based upon something that was completely fraudulent. When, that, when things like that occur, when, we, when clarity suddenly comes, when we realize we're putting this all into it and, and we're lacking something, shame can begin to grow within us. And we don't want to tell anybody what's happened. We don't want anybody to know that we're lacking. I've had that, those moments when I'm like, I don't want to tell my mom. I don't want to tell my dad. I don't want to tell my pastor. I don't want to tell anybody what's going on in my life because I feel ashamed about what has happened, about maybe a decision that I made that wasn't right, or, 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 or maybe I didn't do anything wrong at all, but I'm still not making enough, and I feel like I am less than because of it. The truth is, 
We do the same thing with God when it comes to sin. We do the same thing with God when it comes to lack. Because we say, well, I I don't want him to know. He already knows. (laughs) He knows. And all we do is we block ourselves from the people who might be able to bring the resource we need, the wisdom we need, the understanding we need. We close the door because of this thing called shame. Shame causes us to hide issues. And and we keep doing the same thing at times to try to hide the problem and just make the problem worse. You don't have to raise your hand, but you did it, 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 I did it. We've all, in one way or another, done that. And what I'm just suggesting today is let's just get rid of that shame. That is not from God. And let's stand before the Lord open and say, Lord, in an area of lack in my life, I want it to be open and I want to receive whatever you have for me. Can you say amen to that? Praise God. See, the Apostle Paul faced the same mountain. He suffered a whole lot. And he wrote this in Philippians chapter 4. He said, not that I was ever in need. So he says that statement, and then watch what he writes. He says, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Yay. Verse 12. I know how to live on almost nothing. I have never been, not that I was ever in need. I learned how to live on almost nothing or with everything. Hmm. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty. Not that I was ever in need, but I had an empty stomach, apparently. With plenty, I get that, or little. Not that I was ever in need, but I had little. So he's writing about the mountain of provision here. He said, living on nothing, living on everything, living on full, on empty, plenty, little. The ups and downs make Paul normal. How many can relate to his ups and downs? But what's not as normal is this, I've learned to be content part. I've learned to be at peace. And then he says that I was never in need and then talks about need. If my stomach is empty, I qualify that as need. Yesterday, Christy and I uh, were making it an early day. And uh, so we ate a really early like dinner, lunch type thing, had a few eggs. And then I looked at her and I said, I'm not going to eat anything else today. She said, neither am I. I said it first. (laughs) So, so she, uh, so later on, we went upstairs to our bedroom and we were laying in bed, we were watching a show and, and she looked at me and she said, I'm kind of (laughs) hungry. Well, like 30 minutes ago, I had said, Hey, are you going to eat anything else? Uh, 30 minutes before I said, you're going to eat anything else. And she said, uh, I thought you said you weren't eating anything else today. And so we didn't eat anything, and we went upstairs, and we were watching this show together. And and so now she's looking at me saying, I'm kind of hungry. And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) So then then we, the the, the episode ends, and, and she looked at me, and she said, I'm going to get something to eat. And I thought, didn't you say you're not going to eat anything yet anymore today? But I didn't say anything. She said, do you want to come with me? I said, yes, I do. <laughs> so we went downstairs to get a snack, which became a meal. 
And it was delicious. It just really was. The Lord had blessed us with pizza in the house, and I didn't, you know, and so when this pizza, thou must, thou shalt eat the pizza that is in thine house. That's King James Version. <laughs> you know, it's holy. So anyway, we ended, now, why did we go downstairs and eat a whole meal after saying we weren't going to eat anything else? We did because there was a need. There was a need, and we were not content in that place of need. So we went to fill our bellies. So how does Paul say, I've, not that I've ever been in need? He isn't saying that he never lacked supplies. What he said is, I was emotionally and spiritually strong even in the place of need. Even in the place of lack, I was still okay. Internally, I was strong. I was still able to do what I was supposed to do because I was content. Where did the contentment come from? He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. He, he said, I can, I can be content in a place of lack and I can be a content in a place of plenty. Whatever the situation, I can be content through Christ. All you need for life and all you need for mission can be found in Christ. It speaks to two realities. The first is that, uh, that Christ provides peace in times of lack in our lives. And secondly, that Christ provides all we need for life and for mission. It is all found through Christ, but that is the key. It's through Christ. It's, he becomes the gateway, the passageway through which everything that I get in life and in, in, in mission can be applied to my life. It's not through Christ if you hear the word of God and don't do the word of God. If, if I take the word of God, I analyze it and I, des I decide what part I'll take and what part I want, won't, what part I like and what part I don't like and, and what part I use and what part I won't use, then that's not through Christ. That's through Micah's understanding. And there is no promise that says through Micah, I can do all things. No, no. But through Christ, I can. It's through Christ when I hear his word and then I do his word. So how do we face the mountain of provision with active faith? And last week, we broke that down into three parts. We pray, we live with integrity, and then we say. So let's talk about the pray part first. We bring the issue to the one who can answer. The issue, whatever, wherever the lack is in your life, you bring that to the one who can answer. And you pray in faith knowing that God is for you. Uh, sometimes people pray and I wonder if they know that God is their friend, that God is their blesser, that God is their creator, that God loves them dearly because it, it's almost like they're trying to convince their enemy to be their friend. God is for you. So you can approach him with confidence and with certainty and say, I know you're for me. And so because you for, you're for me, here's the need that I have in my life. Here's the situation. And we start with praise. In fact, when you are in a place of lack, always begin with praise. What is praise? Praise is boasting about God to God. Boasting about God to God. It's like, God, you are awesome. You are beautiful. You are great. You are powerful. There is nothing like you. There's no one like you. There's no God beside you. In you, all things are possible. This is boasting to God 
about God to God. And what it does, it doesn't change anything about God. God still remains God. It doesn't make him bigger God or littler God. It doesn't change his status at all. But what it does change is how I see God. Have you ever bragged about your wife or your kids or your husband or your, somebody in your world? You, you, you were talking to somebody and you started talking about all the good things that you can think about regarding your kid. And, and when you walked away, you were like, you know, my kid's better than I thought they were. <laughs> you know, maybe they're not so bad after all. I walked into that conversation thinking, man, I've really got a dud kid. But after that conversation, I feel like it's pretty good. When you start talking up something, it changes how you see the thing. Our world specializes in talking down, making everything worse, talking down to people, talking down about situations. To God, we're saying, I praise you. In fact, David wrote it this way. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 3, he said, yet, he's starting off with, I'm in need, it seems like you're nowhere around, but... He's saying, or yet, or, or but I know, you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. He said, when I praise, you show up. When the praise goes up before God, God sits down. He's enthroned. That literally means to sit down or to plant oneself. You sit down. You draw close to me when I praise you. Think about it this way. If you start saying really nice stuff to people, they want to be closer to you than if you're screaming at them all the time. That's a revelation for some people. <laughs> Try it sometime. You'll have more friends. It's the same with God. When you talk about God, now he doesn't physically get any further from you, but you can feel his presence when you're praising him. In fact, David continues in the same psalm and he says, now I've condensed this. I haven't lost any of the meaning, but I encourage you to go read it yourself. He, he goes on to say, praise the Lord, all you who fear him or respect him, for he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. The poor will eat and be satisfied. The one who lacks will eat and be satisfied with their plenty. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. God's responding to praise. And he said, when you praise me, I will pour joy into your life. So what are you praying for when you're talking to God in a time of lack? Pray for the right connections. Pray for the right connections. God usually blesses through people. When, when we pray for uh, financial provision, I'm not one single time see God rain down gold bullion from the sky. Not once. If it happens to you, please share. But I've never experienced that. What God does is he blesses somebody and then he blesses through them into your life. This is what the scripture says about it. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. Who is going to give? Well, first he talks about how he's going to give. Good measure. Press down, shaking it together, running over, will it be put into your lap? Now, there are other translations, other versions, who would translate that, shall men put into your bosom, or people will give to you. 
This is a biblical concept. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the blessing is from God through people. Christ moves on somebody's life to bless your life. God uses both friends and enemies to bless his people. How many think that Israel was shocked when they were leaving Egypt and the Egyptians who had kept them in slavery for over 400 years were the ones making them wealthy by giving them their wealth? I think Israel was like, whoa. I can't even believe this is happening. A surreal moment. It may not be wealth that you need from somebody. It might be wisdom. It might be understanding. It might be knowledge. It might be connections. It, but wherever that connection is, if it's a God-designed connection, it's going to bless your life. So look for those opportunities. In fact, it's a great reason to join a life group or get involved with a, a serve team because you're connecting with people that are going in the same direction. They may not write you a check the first day, but you might learn from them or have connections. And, and some of the greatest blessings in my life have been introductions to other people. I don't know how God's going to use them to bless you, but you're intentionally connecting. So get, keep your eyes open. When you've done all you can and it's not enough, keep your eyes open for a God-designed connection in your life. That, that next, that blessing that you need may be on that next phone call, in that next meeting, in that next appointment. Do you know that God works in board meetings? That God works in business appointments? Do you know that God works through your life Monday through Friday? God does not work only on Sundays. And he takes the rest of the weekends off. That's not how it works. He's working in you and through you, so keep your eyes open. Secondly, live with integrity toward Christ. Remember that this whole thing is through Christ. So don't pray like God is your only hope and then live like he's not. Live like he is. God's answer to lack, whatever that lack is, is always sowing. It's always sowing. Remember last week we talked about how God said, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if you forgive others that have done you wrong, I will forgive you. So he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sow forgiveness, and then you're going to reap forgiveness. You're reaping what you've sown. And that's true in every kind of lack. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. I'm just going to let the scripture teach the scripture. Here we go. Ready? While the earth remains... Seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's where it began. Then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, there are many passages. I'm just reading three. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. Job chapter 4, verse 8 says the same thing. But he's, they're both telling us what you sow matters. And then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So what you sow matters because you're going to reap whatever you sow, and how much you sow matters because the amount of seed is going to determine the size of the harvest. It's a very simple concept, and we understand it with seed in the ground, but it's, the true, it's true in every area of life. 
Some of you have been mean to people that you wanted to get something from, and you were shocked when you sowed meanness and reaped meanness. Why? If you put an apple seed in the ground, you don't expect an orange tree. What you sow, that you reap. Praise God. Here's a reality. You might want to write this down or take a picture of the screen. Need never becomes plenty. It never becomes plenty. You will never need your way into a great harvest. God-directed seed always means a harvest, however. So the, the nations on earth that are stuck in famine, they cannot need their way into a great harvest. They must sow their way into a great harvest every single time. So you may reap where you don't sow. The scripture does speak to that. But you will always sow somewhere. <laughs> Some think that if, if I have any part or if I take any action in a thing, then that must mean I get the credit. In the days when I was working two jobs and I still didn't make enough money to, to pay the bills, I, I, I still didn't have enough money to pay the bills. So when the bills got paid, I couldn't take the credit for having brought in the extra. That was God's business. We can't earn enough to deserve what God gives us. Amen. We can't work enough to get there. To be valuable enough. So God always gets the credit. Integrity towards Christ is sowing what you have, trusting God with the harvest. That's what it all, that whole thing about being through Christ is all about. As believers, it's one of the areas where faithfulness and tithing and offerings is, is vital. It's a vital piece to the puzzle because we are sowing into God's kingdom. And therefore, the harvest comes from wherever the kingdom touches. It's a big kingdom. It's part of that process. Tithe and offerings are seed planted in God's kingdom. So we sow. We sow into God connections. There's some young people in this room right now. You need to find an older person in this room and say to them, I'd like to take you to lunch. I'd like to take you to coffee. I'd, I'd like to get with you. If you've been to lunch with somebody four times in a row and you have never even twitched to get the check, get the check next time. Well, but they have more money than I do. I'm, I'm pretty certain of that. I'm pretty certain they do then that's more reason to get the check. Let them bless you, but reciprocate the blessing. Say, I, I can't bring the wisdom that I need in my life into your life, but, but you know what I can do? I can pay you know, $403 for these two coffees. Inflation. <laughs> I can't bring to the table what you're bringing to the table, but let me bring to the table what I can. That's what sowing is all about. So sow into relationships, into your kids, your business, your marriage, your finances. Sow time, sow help, sow knowledge, sow finances. What you sow, you will reap. And lastly, faith always includes an external expression. So say what you know is true. Say it. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I don't think that was the first time he said it. 
I think Paul said those words often. If he didn't say those words exactly, I think he said he expressed that attitude or that idea often. When he was swimming from the shipwreck to the island of Joppa, I think he was going, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he was in prison, I think he was saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he was being beaten, I think he was saying, thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything was through Christ. And he was declaring the truth. That whatever I face, I can deal with it if I will stay in Christ. I can handle it through Christ. So let me ask you this, is, is what Paul said, is that applicable to you and I, or is that only for Paul? Paul can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Paul thought it meant you and I as well. Philippians chapter 4, he continues to write, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. God who supplies me will supply you so relationally, you and I pray. Practically, you and I live with integrity and we sow. And publicly, you and I speak the truth. God is my supply and he is supplying my need. The enemy wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. He wants to take your, your, your faith in Christ and, and annihilate it. But when you're facing the mountain of provision in your life today, do it with active faith. And your story on earth will close as Revelation chapter 12 records. It says, and they have defeated him. That's the enemy of our lives, enemy of our souls, by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. They did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. The blood of the lamb makes you a child of God. The word of your testimony is that what you could not do God did, praise the Lord. And you not loving your life to the death, it meant, simply means that you were willing to die to yourself every day. And then when the, your time on earth was done, you stepped from time into eternity through Christ. Would you bow your heads with me right now and prayer partners, come on forward. But I'm just gonna ask you right now to ask Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me in this service? What are you trying to speak to me? Where an area of my life am I in lack? You might say, that's no, that's no secret, Pastor. I know exactly where I'm lacking in life right now. It's in my marriage. It's in my finances. It's with my kids. It's in my friendships. It's in my relationship with Christ. It's, I have a lack and I need provision in that area. Then my encouragement is humble yourself before the Lord. Worship Him. Be bold in your declaration of the Lord's goodness. Ask him for the right connections in your life. Open your eyes. Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm praying right now for your people. I pray that as we, as we lift you up in praise, that our eyes would be open to see the connections that you're bringing forth in our lives. Connecting us with right people to, to direct us on right paths, to bring right resource into our world as you direct and as you will.
Lord, we, we will be faithful to sow what we can in the area that we're called to go. And I'm asking you, Jesus, that as we sow and we, be, and we say what you are doing and declare your goodness and your faithfulness, I pray, mighty God, that you would receive the honor and the glory through our lives as we do things through Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and let everybody say amen.